0: And you're ready for college and pro football. This is the Football Betting Guide with Jonathan Von Tobel.
2: It's hour number two of the Football Betting Guide right here on VEASAN, the Sports Bank Network, and we've got a tremendous hour for you. We're going to be going a little bit of NFL here in the first half of it, and then in the second half, going to be joined by a pair of great guests to be able to take a look at a little bit of college football in 45 minutes. We've got Adam Burke joining the show. He also does the show, the run line, which is going to be coming up pre, uh, uh, which is going to be coming up after this. That is going to be at five o'clock PM Pacific time, eight o'clock PM Eastern time. He did a great job helping us out in terms of the college football betting guide that is out right now. Visa.com slash subscribe for all that. You've got power rankings. You've got breakdowns of every single one of these 131 FBS teams and a man that wound up having a big hand in that, Steve Mackinnon. He's going to be talking about the power rankings that he's got in that guide in about 30 minutes, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And on top of that, Mark Schofield, he's going to be joining me in 15 minutes. Does a great job covering the game of the NFL. So we're going to be diving into what we're seeing in terms of these quarterback battles, mainly the big two in Pittsburgh and Carolina in about 15 or so minutes. And here in the first part, we've got to take a look at teams that they can wind up going from either being in the playoffs, out, or out to in, because I always do think that this is something that's worth taking a look at every single year in football. It seems like we wind up seeing at least one team wind up going from worst to first in their division. I don't know if we're going to quite wind up seeing that this season, but there are some teams that I do think that they wind up going from the playoffs to out of it, and then vice versa. They go from being a team that wind up missing the playoffs, and then they are going to be able to find their way in. I think that there's a couple very clear ones, in my opinion. A team that I wanted up bringing up in the first hour of the show, the Baltimore Ravens, I think that they can wind up winning this AFC North. I mean, even if you wind up having this Deshaun Watson suspension, wind up holding up not being lengthened any more than six games, I still think that the Baltimore Ravens have a chance to be able to win that division. They're minus 150 to be able to make the playoffs. A little bit more juice than typically you'd like to lay on this, but I mean, when you when you wind up doing the math, it's a relatively good bet, especially if you think, much like myself, that the Ravens wind up being able to make the playoffs in north of 70% of the time, being able a 150. That's actually relatively solid value. The Noahs is a plus 125 if you're taking a look at that. Other teams are relatively chalky to be non-playoff teams that do wind up making the playoffs. The Indianapolis Colts, they are minus 175 to make the playoffs. The Noahs is plus 140. I think that the Colts should be able to make it as well. I honestly think that... For the Colts, they're a little bit less likely to do so than the Baltimore Ravens. I think that you got value on both numbers, but I would rather have the Ravens rather than the Colts personally, but the Colts are a team that I think that they are going to be able to win their division as well. I feel like the Titans, they just didn't wind up upgrading while the Colts did over the offseason, being able to get rid of Carson Wentz, put in there Matt Ryan, a guy Matt Ryan that just has not had a lot of weapons around him, that upgrades them. Um, the Denver Broncos at minus 150 to be able to make the playoffs and the Chargers at minus 160. Those are the main two AFC West teams that are up there. And if there is one team on that list that I think that there might be a little bit of value with on the know, it is the Denver Broncos. Now, for Russell Wilson, he has be able to win. He's been able to have a winning record in all but one of his seasons. Obviously, that one coming last season when he wound up missing quite a bit of time with the thumb injury it was not ideal for him. But this is still a Denver Broncos team that they wind up losing a few pieces from last season as well. They obviously wind up bringing in a massive piece in Russell Wilson. And what this team really did need was a quarterback. But that said, when it comes to this Denver Broncos team as well, they're in the division of death because right now, the other team in the AFC West that wanted making the playoffs that many people think are going to miss the playoffs, that'd be the Oakland Raiders. And they are by far the biggest favorite to wind up going from a team that wound up making the playoffs to missing the playoffs. Their odds to be able to make the playoffs at a minus 425 is the note to miss the playoffs on the Raiders. and plus 330 that they do wind up making the playoffs. The New England Patriots are a plus 160 to make the playoffs. So if they do, you wind up laying down 100 bucks. You wind up getting back your original $100 plus 160. The Steelers, they're plus $3 to be able to make the playoffs. That's a team that even though I do think that they are going to get a good, honest effort out of them. That's pretty much warranted. And the Cardinals, they're at plus 125 to make the playoffs. The is minus 150, but I don't see why so many people are just thinking that it's a foregone conclusion that the uh, Denver Broncos wind up replacing the Las Vegas Raiders in the playoffs. I do recognize that Russell Wilson, when he's at his full force, he's able to be a very solid player. And what we wind up seeing from the back half of last season when he was coming back from injury, that's not the Russell Wilson that we all know and love. He's got some good weapons around him. Cortland Sutton, I think, is going to be absolutely massive for this team. But on top of that, you did notice a injury that, in my opinion, wound up going a little bit under the radar for this team as well as David Patrick. He winds up going down for the Denver Broncos. I believe that if he does wind up returning this season, he is going to be very, very limited. I believe that he's out for the entirety of the season. If I wound up seeing that correctly, or I should say Tim Patrick. I think I called him David Patrick, but with Tim Patrick... He's on injured reserve right now, and it's just not a good situation, and he was relatively solid for the team last season. A guy that was able to be a relatively solid possession wide receiver, was able to get right around 14 yards per catch. So, I mean, without Patrick in the fold, that winds hurting the Denver Broncos receiving core just a little bit as well. This is a team that I still think that they've got a little bit of an underrated ground game as well. I do think that they're going to be able to get some relatively solid production Out of all these running backs, even with what we wound up seeing last season, Melvin Gordon was still able to average right around 4.5 yards per carry. Certainly has been a relatively good player in the league, a guy that you wind up using him in a little bit more of smaller doses. You wind up seeing him towards the back half last season get right around 10 to 15 carries a game. I do think that he's probably going to have a similar role this season, but I do think that when it comes to the Raiders as well, this is a bunch that they've been making some... Shall we say a little bit of questionable draft picks, but that's why you wind up diving into free agency. Now you've got Derek Carr teaming up with his college teammate and Devontae Adams, and there's a case to be made for Adams being a top three wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, we wind up seeing what Aaron Rodgers was able to make him to be. Now, what he winds up doing without Aaron Rodgers, I do think that that is worth taking a little bit of a note of. But I mean, you still have Hunter Renfro, a very solid slot wide receiver. For this team as well, when Darren Waller is fully healthy, he's able to be one of the best tight ends in the NFL as well. This team wound up investing a lot in the line over the last few years as well. Alex Leatherwood was a little bit of a reach a few seasons ago, but he inserted himself into a relatively solid tackle as well. And then the defense for this team, I feel like they've been able to upgrade at the secondary spot a little bit. They wind up bringing bringing in Rocky Yassin, who I think is going to be able to do some relatively solid things. I remember he was an early second-round draft pick a few years ago out of Temple. I think that there's going to be a little bit of upside for him. He should be able to start right out of the shoot for this team as well. So I do take a look at this Raiders team. A little bit of a new-look bunch, and it is going to be a little bit of a redemption tour for them as well because I mean you wind up seeing just everything that wound up happening for them last season. I don't think that it can be understated because you wind up seeing Derek Carr able to step up. He was able to be a very good leader for this team and a lot of uncertainty. You wind up having the John Grun situation. You wind up having this team have some of the most travel of any team out there in the NFL. You wind up having the very unfortunate Harry Ruggs situation as well. You're able to go down the list and yet this team was still able to keep it together. They were still able to make the postseason. So I do think that there's quite a bit of upside on the Raiders. Meanwhile, we just see it in any sport. You're able to go to the NBA. You're able to go to the NFL. You're able to go to the MLB. List goes on and on. When you've got so many new parts for a team, typically it takes a little bit of time for them to be able to mesh. Even the sports in which you wind up having it be a little bit more individual-based, like the NBA. I mean, how did the Brooklyn Nets wind up doing? Not so great. So I do think that that is always something that you want to take a look at. I and mean, you just go back to what we wound up seeing a few years ago with the Philadelphia Eagles, Vince Young calling them the anti air quotes your dream team. Well, the only dream that was being had was them dreaming of being able to get into the playoffs because it was such a big, giant Buster Rooney. And I don't think that it's going to be quite that big of a collapse for them. But still, I think that these numbers are just off, in my opinion, with regards to Raiders being north of $3 to be able to make the playoffs. And I mean, it's not even completely far fetched that you wind up being able to get all four teams into the playoffs. Now, it would be certainly a Herculean feat. These teams would all need to take care of their business when it comes to what they wind up doing outside of the division. And then you would need a lot of teams to be splitting. You would need a lot of teams to be going like five and three within the, or you would need a lot of teams to be going like three and three, four and two within the division. You can't have one team wind up going like seven and one. You can't wind up having the Raiders, Broncos, insert your team here, wind up going something like a 1-5, and five, but I do think that it is something that is very doable. I do think that you could wind up seeing a case in which all these teams because, I mean, if you wind up power rating the Raiders as the worst team in this division, and I think that that's very fair. They still, in my opinion, have a better shot to be able to make the playoffs than a team like the Miami Dolphins. I do think that the New England Patriots, them being a plus 160 to be able to make the playoffs, that's a little bit disrespectful Do everything that the Patriots are able to do. Another year for Mac Jones in the system. I think he's gonna do him well now with the New England Patriots. I know that there's a lot being made out of Matt Patricia, perhaps being the play caller for this team. But with the Patriots, I just do not question what Bill Belichick is able to do. He was able to get this team to the playoffs last season. They are going to be very reliant on the run game once again, but they did wind up investing a lot of money in a lot of free agents. And I wanted just pointing it out with the Denver Broncos, typically. It does wind up taking a year or two when you do wind up having a bunch of moving parts for them to fire on all cylinders. This is going to be for a lot of those guys that they wind up signing in the offseason. Season season number two for them. So I do think that they're going to be able to take some strides forward, especially when you wind up getting to play against the New York Jets twice a year, a team that I do recognize. They wind up getting a little bit better during the offseason, but I still think that they are very clearly the number four team in that division until you wind up seeing anything otherwise from a quarterback that wound up having a touchdown-to-interception ratio. That was sub-one, so I do have my question marks there. And when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, just a little bit of a difficult scenario with them because I do think that Mike Tomlin is going to be able to get the most out of these guys. I do think that the defense is going to be rock solid, but we don't know what we're going to be getting out of the quarterback spot, and that's why we wind up bringing in our next guest, Mark Schofield. He's doing a great job covering the game of football that we all know and love. He's been certainly dialed in with regards to these quarterback battles, both the one in Pittsburgh along with the one in Carolina, so we're going to be asking him about that next right here on Beeson Esports Bank Network.
0: The world's largest social network for kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Betting guide <laughs> with Jonathan Von Tobel.
2: Welcome back. This segment of the football betting guide is presented by Team Pouches, the simpler way to experience nicotine satisfaction and enjoy lasting change on your terms. Zinn Nicotine Pouches are a fresher, simpler way to enjoy nicotine that has helped millions of people achieve lasting change by offering a smoke-free and si- spit-free satisfaction. Not sure about you, but there remember times in my life where I knew I needed to make a change, and I just wasn't ready to do so quite yet, and I'm sure that a lot of smokers and dippers out there can relate. Zinn understands that there isn't one right time to make a change. Everyone's on their own journey. Everyone's timeline just a little bit different, so... When you feel like you're ready to take that first step forward towards some change, Zinn is going to be there for you with the right strength, the right flavor, at the right time. And if you're thinking about making a little bit of a change, you want to learn a little bit more about Zinn Nicotine vouches, go to Zin.com. That is Z-Y-N.com. Warning, this is a product that contains nicotine. Nicotine, it is an addictive chemical. As we are back here on the Football Betting Guide right here on the Sports Betting Network. And great to be joined by Mark Schofield. He does a great job over there at USA Today. You're able to catch him on the NFL wire. He does a great job with the touchdown wire as well. You're able to follow him at his same Mark show field. And great to have you aboard today. Thank you
4: for having me this afternoon. Really appreciate
2: it. I appreciate you. And what I appreciate is that this year in the NFL, we've really got two hot quarterback races right now. Now there's been a lot made out of both the Pittsburgh and the Carolina quarterback races. Let's start with the one that wound up seeing the most news, I guess most recently with the Carolina Panthers, because obviously few weeks ago, they wind up making the trade for Baker Mayfield. And a lot of people, they're in one of two camps because they wind up bringing in Baker Mayfield so late in the process. They wind up going out there and making the trade that he is going to be the starter. But Sam Darnold is a guy that's making a little bit more money, so there are other people in his camp as well. What have you seen thus far with regards to this quarterback battle? And which quarterback do you think right now is the upper hand?
4: You know, interestingly enough, I was of the mindset that with the Trade for Baker Mayfield at this point in their careers. You know what you have in Sam Darnold in Carolina. I think, I thought Baker had sort of the inside track to winning this job. I thought, yes, Matt Will said all the right things. Scott Fitter said all the right things about it being a competition. But I was at the mind that this is going to be Baker's show sooner rather than later. But as it's played out in Carolina, in training camp so far, Darnold has had much more reps with the ones. I was talking to John Ellis, who covers the Carolina Panthers for Fox Sports down in South Carolina, he was at camp all last week and into the weekend. And he was telling me just yesterday, Greg, that Donald's getting a lot of run with the ones. Yes, Baker looks more comfortable attacking the middle of the field right now. And there's a little bit more, you know, explosiveness to the offense when he's on the field, at least in practices. But the fact that Donald is still getting reps with the ones makes me think this is more of a competition than we thought. Ultimately, I think Baker still wins the job. But where I was at, like, 95% certain it was Baker when they made this trade. I'm now down to say that 70%, 75% rate to this Baker. I think he still wins it. But Donald does seem to have a legitimate shot at winning this job.
2: And how likely do you think it is that perhaps you do wind up seeing Baker Mayfield wind up winning the job, but say he winds up having a shaky two to three weeks, and this winds up becoming sort of like a sort of teeter-totter quarterback situation where, it winds up being Baker Mayfield that starts for a few games. Then they wind up going to Sam Darnold. Then they go back to Mayfield. Or do you think that they're going to be a little bit more all in on the guy that they wind up picking before the season?
4: I mean, you have to remember Greg, the Matt rule is coaching for his job here. Every sort of, you know, article I've seen, every sort of bet and odds on favorite and first coach to get fired has rule basically at the top of that list. So I think he's going to do everything he can to win games. And if, like, I think Mayfield still wins the job, but like you said, he's been effective for two to three weeks. He might have to go to Sam Donald to try to energize that offense. I don't think he's going to be afraid of making changes to try to win games and perhaps, like I said, save his job any way he can. And so if there's ineffectiveness at the quarterback position, it wouldn't surprise me to see Matt Rule make changes.
2: And I do think that that's important if you're taking a look at any season-long player props as well. If you're looking to bet either of these guys, there's no guarantee that you wind up getting more than, like, 12 starts out of either of them. So I do think that that is very important to take a look at. And then the other quarterback battles, the one that's going out there in Pittsburgh, and the main two candidates that we've been really looking at, that'd be Mitchell Trubisky, and then you're able to throw in there the rookie in Mr. Kenny Pickett. But I know that there's been a little bit of hubbub about Mason Rudolph, the way that he's performed, a guy that we have seen out there on the field a few times the last few seasons for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Where do th- things stand right now? Because it was looking like a little bit more of a two-way battle. You might wind up getting a three-way tango when it's all said and done, though.
4: We might get sort of a three-way battle. And they released their sort of initial, you know, training camp depth chart at the end of last week. And it had Trubisky at one, Rudolph at two, and Pickett at three. And that's kind of with the, in line with the reps we've seen at practices where Trubisky and Rudolph are getting the lion's share of reps. They also have... At Steelers practices and training camp, there's seven shots uh, installation period where they have seven plays inside the red zone, inside the five-yard line for the offense to try to score. They typically give the bulk of those to the guys that they expect to be the, the starters in week one. Trubisky has gotten the lion's share of those. I don't think Penny Pickett has gotten one of those seven-shots reps yet. That's according to Alex Cazorra, who covers the Steelers for SteelersDepot.com, who's been at every single training camp practice. It seems like Rudolph has muscled his way into making this a three-man run for the quarterback spot. It seems like Trubisky has the inside track on this job. And it seems like we might not see Kenny Pickett. He seems to be at least right now fading. Obviously, there's time. There's preseason games. And if you know Trubisky is in line to be the starter, that might open the door for Rudolph and Pickett to get more run. But this has, I think, become a three-man job with Mitchell Trubisky having the inside track to win in that job right now.
2: Yeah, it should be interesting to see what winds up happening out there in Pittsburgh. Whoever winds up being the quarterback, certainly going to be someone that is going to be a little bit lower rated in terms of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, but certainly going to be surrounded by a good defense on the flip side as well. So that is going to be able to help them out. And shall we wind up going to another team out there in that division, which there's been a little bit of news with regards to the Cleveland Browns. And, and it's not even just Deshaun Watson anymore. Obviously, that is what is enamoring everyone. We have no idea what's going on here because there wound up being the six-game suspension. The NFL is to you know what? We are going to wind up taking a little bit more of a look at this. And apparently, there was a settlement that was denied by Watson that would have given him a big, giant fine and a 12-game suspension. But, I mean, what's all going on with Cleveland right now? Because you've got Deshaun Watson, and now you've got Kareem Hunt requesting a trade as well. So, it feels like it's... Becoming a little bit of a circus out there.
4: It does, Greg, seem like it's been a bit of a circus right now. And obviously the Watson situation, we are waited now uh, for PRC Harvey, the former attorney general from New Jersey, who's now been designated by Roger Goodell to sort of hear the appeal process. And part of the reason he was designated to hear the appeal was availability. There's a belief that he's going to be able to rule ex- expeditiously on the Watson appeal. So that's that story. We'll wait in again. On that decision, of course, like you mentioned, Kareem Hunt reports out of Cleveland. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot, who covers the Browns with Cleveland.com, with a report out today that he has requested a trade. The Browns have basically told Kareem Hunt that, look, you know, your best move here is to just ball out first this year and earn yourself that next big payday. Hunt's in the final year of a two-year deal he signed in September of 2020 when that season got underway. I missed, I think, nine games last year, seven due to injury, two when he was on the COVID list. So he practiced today with the team he was one of the players that have decided to do that sort of hold in, where because of the fines under the CBA, if you hold out, he reported to camp and he did individual drills, but hadn't taken part in team drills yet. Apparently, at training camp practices today, he participated in team drills for the first time. So maybe that's a sign that there's some movement there. But they have DeAndres Johnson behind both uh, Chubb, Nick Chubb, excuse me, and Kareem Hunt. Johnson, extremely talented, very good at creating yardage as a running back. He was one of the top two players, according to NFL's next gen stats and Russian over expectation. You know, he had, I think uh, he was second in creating Russian yardage over expectation. And the, he had the highest percentage of runs last year, 58% of his runs where he generated more yards than we expected to see a average running back get on that play. He could create yardage that doesn't, that gives Cleveland a bit of wiggle room here because they trust Johnson because of what he could do. So they don't, they're not forced into making a move with Kareem Hunt. So you practice today, maybe there's a sign that that relationship is gone a bit, but certainly something to watch.
2: Yep, it certainly is. And with regards to Cleveland Browns as well, do they just plan on going with the quarterbacks that they've got on the roster at this point? Or because this is right now just still in the process in general, Is there any sign that they might wind up signing a guy? And I know that we're all talking about Jimmy G right now, perhaps going to the Cleveland Browns. I think that that's interesting to take a look at as well, because it just feels like we could wind up seeing darn near anything happen with this ordeal.
4: Yeah. And we're again, a lot of it sort of depends on now what former attorney general Harvey does, because with the six game suspension, you know, Cleveland's in an interesting spot, Greg, where their first four games, they've got, You know, the two we were just talking about, Carolina, they get Atlanta, they get the Jets. They've got four winnable games out of the gate, but then their schedule gets a little bit tougher. You know, the next two games, games five and six, the last two games of the right now suspension, that's the Chargers and the Patriots. That looks to be a little bit tougher. Now, maybe with the first four games they have with Carolina, with the Jets, with the Steelers, with Atlanta, plus those two games, they could stay afloat with Jacoby Brissett. But if Mr. Harvey comes down and says, no, 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 it's a 10, it's a 12-game suspension, then you get it into Baltimore, Cincinnati, Miami, Buffalo, Tampa Bay. That's the next set of games on that schedule. Yes, Kevin Stefanski has told us, oh, you know, we're going to roll with Kobe Berset, he's our backup, you know, we have Josh Rosen. If we get into that longer stretch of games, it'll end up being the 12 range, they might need to make a move.
2: Yeah, they might. And Mark, you made some great moves here, right here on The Football Betting Guy. Coming up next, we talk to Steve Mackman right here on VCEN, the Sports Bank Network. Today,
0: this is The Football Betting Guy with Jonathan Bontobel.
2: Ice cold beers and cold hard cash showing the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free-to-play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head on over to DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at victory. Heineken beer made better. 21 years or older terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com for details. As per usual, please do drink responsibly as we are back here on the football betting guide and great to have on a man that had his fingerprints all over the college football betting guide that we've got over here at Beeson. You're able to check that out, beaston.com slash subscribe to get access to that. As it is, Steve Mackinnon. And Steve, great to have you aboard today. Thank you.
3: Hey, so uh, thank you so much for uh, having me, Greg. Us, Wisconsin guys got to stick together.
2: Absolutely, we do. And if we've got time, we're going to dive into Wisconsin. But we've got to first talk about how you want to coming up with your power rankings for this upcoming season, because as we know, both in college football and college basketball transfer portal more prevalent than ever before. Things wind up getting a little bit wonky with these extra years of eligibility when it comes to COVID things of that nature as well. So how'd you wind up going about just setting up your power rankings for this upcoming season? Because I have to imagine that process this year, a little bit different than it's been in the past.
3: Yeah. The transfer portal throws a little bit of a wrench in it, but I, I typically follow the same routine each uh, spring, summertime. It's about a if you want to call it a six-week process, I, I go through several different uh, factors uh, for each team. I look at who's returning to the team, <clears throat> who they lose, uh, if there's any type of uh, unusual statistics they have from last season, maybe close wins, close losses, that type of thing. Uh, I go through uh, what I call my stability ratings, uh, if they have all their coaches back, all that kind of thing. Uh, and then I'll maybe get a perception of where the – the betting market kind of feel for the teams and, and uh, as well as the, the, the general public and I'll eventually come up with a, a poll rating for each team. And I, then I run that against the schedule and, uh, and we see if there's any, if you want to say errors uh, when you compare it to the numbers uh, placed by the book.
2: Yep. It is always interesting to take a look at. And I mean, just taking a look at things, both yourself, so many others out there, it is very clear that you've got really a big two coming into the season. Alabama, Ohio State, most wind up having Georgia at number three. But as we know, there needs to be four teams to be able to complete a college football playoff. There are many people that are clamoring for many more than four teams right now. But when it comes to the team, or for this matter, teams that might have the best chance of being able to wreck the apple cart a little bit, get into the college football playoff, Who is a team that maybe is outside of those big three that you could see wind up having a big season?
3: Well, I think the first team you have to look at is Clemson, Uh, just from a talent perspective. They've been in the playoffs the last decade. They've dominated. I mean, they've been, been around the playoff, near the playoff, almost every season other than last year. Now, what one of the things, too, you need to look at is if Clemson does not win the ACC, is there a team in the ACC capable of stepping into that fourth playoff spot? And I think if you go down through the list, you got a couple. Uh, one obvious candidate, I think, in NC State. Uh, great uh, team coming back, coming off a pretty nice season. They seem to be taking the step that it, they need to to get to that next level. Great quarterback in Devin Leary. Uh, a lot of experience back. The other wild card in there, I, in that division or ACC, I should say, is North Carolina. Another team with bloated talent. Now, they lose Sam Howell this season, but they replace him uh, with another five star quarterback, Drake May, the uh, brother of uh, Luke May, the former basketball star. So, uh, it could be an interesting situation there. And then I think, uh, as we talked about off the air, I, the true wild card in all of this is USC.
2: Yep, yeah, with USC, it's just so interesting because. Obviously, you wind up having the coaching change, a team that won just four games last season. They were one of the biggest disappointments in all of college football last season. How'd you wind up even starting to go about being able to handicap this team? Because you've got to figure that the system is going to be a little bit new. You've got a few returning players from last season, but you've got a lot of pieces that are sort of coming together this, I've got to figure, is one of the toughest things to be able to handicap just because it is a fresh, brand-new team, but at the same time, very much a brand-name team as well.
3: Yeah, for the most part, a lot of these programs, you need to start at sort of a, a baseline number each season and see what the perception is, who they got coming back, and then you adjust based on that baseline. Now, obviously, they've dropped more than usual last year, but the fact that they've recruited extraordinarily well over the last maybe three years, four years or so. That should start to maybe play a role here. You had a lot of additions in the transfer portal. Obviously, Caleb Williams is a big one, Uh, and Lincoln Riley. That offense is probably going to be spectacular. It's what they can go on the defensive end that I think is going to control the fortunes of how far this
2: team goes. I do think so as well, and when it comes down to it, it is a USC team that, no doubt, I think that they're going to be in for a relatively solid season, but with that said, when you take a look at these conferences, do you think that there could wind up being a scenario in which some of these teams are outside the top three, like a USC, like a Clemson? They could be held back by the fact that their conference is not necessarily as loaded. And when you did wind up taking a look at the conferences as a whole, is there maybe a conference or two that you felt was a little bit stronger or weaker than maybe the public perception is on it?
3: You know what, I'm going to tell you something. Interesting. I, I shared this uh, I, uh, Lombardi line the other day. As I did my quarterback rankings for the coming season, I was actually somewhat taken aback by the quality of quarterback coming back in the ACC and the Pac 12. There are not many scenarios in either of those conferences where you find this is a this team's weak in that department. I, maybe one or two per conference. Other than that, they got experience. Maybe they got a transfer who had experience and uh, or someone who was highly recruited out of the gate stepping into a role. So I was. I was pretty impressed as I went through those lists of the quarterbacks. And I think maybe it could pay dividends for both leagues as we get closer into the October-November time as the the perception of the league.
2: I do agree with you there. I take a look at the ACC, and typically you wind up having like one or two relatively big powers. You've got Clemson, and then maybe that one competitor here and there. And sometimes you don't even wind up having that. And this year it feels like it is a little bit more loaded. So I do agree with you there. And then I do take a look at a conference as well. We were talking about the fact that USC, they wind up having the coaching change, Lincoln Riley, no longer there at Oklahoma. And I take a look at that leg and outside the SEC, in which it's just every single year is locked and loaded. But I think with the big 12, it might be the most balanced leg out there. A lot of people are in on Texas I personally am not. I would rather take a look at some of these other teams, but Baylor, a team that a lot of places have listed at number four in terms of odds to be able to win the division, I could easily see Baylor be that team, come out of the Big 12, and wind up winning that conference. Oklahoma State was able to have a relatively solid year last season. I was talking on Visa and Center yesterday with Matt Humans about Kansas State. I'm impressed with the fact that they bring in Adrian Martinez. I'm not sure about you, but I feel relatively warm about the big 12 and I don't think that there's one runaway favorite and I'm just not in on Texas right now.
3: You know, that's interesting the way you, you word that because balance that doesn't mean the college football playoff. You know what I mean? You have to have someone sort of run, run the show uh, if you're thinking they're going to add themselves to that four team mix. So, Ah, uh, you got a situation where each of these teams knocks each other off once, and you're and you're looking at a one-two-loss team come November. You're not going to find a playoff berth. You you need to have something like Ohio State, where they're clearly a runaway favorite Big Ten. Uh, that that's what's going to earn these teams that uh, that these leagues that fourth playoff spot.
2: Oh, I do agree with you there. I do think that it's going to be very interesting from a betting perspective as well because if you do have all these teams that they're so closely bunched together, you wind up finding some of these spreads that are a little bit bigger. Able to take a look at some of those underdogs being able to come through there. And you mentioned it at the top. We are both Wisconsin guys. And, well, I think that is in my contract that we talk a little bit about the right. Wisconsin Badgers. Where did you wind up having them power-ranked when it's all said and done? Because obviously... Ohio State, number one team out there in the Big Ten. I mean, even Wisconsin homerism eh, cannot wind up taking super precedent there. But with that said, I do think that it's interesting to take a look at this Big Ten because after what you wind up having at Ohio State, becomes a little bit more open from there, especially in the division that Wisconsin is in in the West.
3: Yeah, I have them 17th in the country with a power rating of 56. Now, if there's only if there's a word of a betting advice you're gonna have to take about this team is take the under. Yeah, uh, I, I can't imagine a scenario where this team scores a lot of points this season. Uh, I, this is an underrated part of of what's happened to Badger football, but they don't recruit elite receivers lately. That when they used to be able to score points at good balance offensive and defensive, they had playmakers at receiver position. This year they lose Ferguson, the tight end, who was a the primary target of, of Graham Mertz. So. That's going to be a tough replacement right there. We all know they can run the football, but thorn points in college football hinges on that quarterback being able to sling it around.
2: Yep, yeah, but when it comes to Wisconsin as well, they've always got an offensive line that is very much built for being able to run the ball. A bunch of guys are like 6'4", 330 pounds. They're raised on a farm. So I certainly <laughs> yep. feel you're right there, Steve. And I know you did absolutely amazing work on this college football betting guide. Your fingerprints are all over it. Do appreciate you joining me on the show today. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Greg. Appreciate you having me
2: on. And for all of Steve's great work, and there were so many other people that did amazing work on this college football betting guide, Beeson.com slash subscribe to be able to get access to that. And, hey, we're going to be joined by another gentleman that did amazing work on that guide. That would be Adam Burke. He joins me on the desk next, right here on Beeson Esports Betting Network. Today. This is the Football
0: Betting Guide with Jonathan Bontobel.
4: Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today
1: is Alison Bree.
2: The College Football Betting Guide is out right now. Start your football season on the right foot with expert profiles of every single team, including trends, power ratings, over-under recommendations, and so much more. Plus, our best season win total bets, Heisman hopefuls, playoff predictions, and so much more. The only way to get this year's Football betting guide is by becoming a Visa subscriber. Sign up early, and for just $175, you get everything that we have to offer here at Visa. The college and pro football betting guides, along with full Visa access all the way through the Super Bowl. I'm sure that there's going to be a college basketball betting guide for myself included in there as well. Or for just 40 bucks a month, see everything that Visa has to offer to up your betting game. Go to Visa.com/slash subscribe for all of your options and become a part of the Sports Betting Network. As it is the football betting guide right here on visa and the sports bank network and a man that did great work in terms of the college football betting guide that would be our good friend adam burke he is joining me on the desk by the way stick around because the run line he does that show from 5 to 7 p.m pacific time does a great job with ben wilson so that's coming up next and it's great to have you aboard adam thank you
1: absolutely good to be here
2: and adam the two conferences that you really hit for this college, bat, co- college football betting guide, I've got basketball on the mind. That would be the Conference USA and Sunbelt Conferences. And just talk to me about these two conferences because we were talking about this off air. We're both guys that we love college sports. And while it's so great to be able to take a look at the Big Ten, the SEC, what have you, the lines when it comes to the Big Ten and the SEC, significantly more sharp than when you wind up getting down to Conference USA, Sunbelt, insert your non-power five here. Yeah, look, I mean,
1: I think conference specialization is a really good idea for a lot of people. It's hard to know all 131 teams, and obviously for you with college basketball, it's very hard to know all, what is it, 358 last year. 358 last year. See, I don't even know how many teams there are. But look, I think that when you look at college athletics specifically, there's a lot of attention paid to the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, the Pac-12 you know, the, the Power Five conferences wind up with really sharp numbers. So I think being able to look at conferences like the Sun Belt, like Conference USA, the futures numbers and the season, the preseason props aren't going to be as sharp, and the in-season lines won't be as sharp either. So I know everyone wants to talk about the big conferences, the big programs, and I'm happy to do that all the time, but I do think that if you're somebody out there getting into college football, maybe you're getting to it a little bit late, becoming a specialist in the group of five I think is where you can really make a lot of preseason money still.
2: Yep, I do think that that's such a good recommendation. I wind up doing a lot more of it for college basketball personally, but I am right there with you, Adam. And when it comes to these two conferences, Conference USA and Sunbelt, is there any sort of similarities slash differences that we're going to be seeing from last year? Because what I really noticed in Conference USA is that UTSA was able to do a relatively solid job on defense, and that's that you really didn't have a lot of defense in the conference.
1: Yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot of great defense in Conference USA. This is a tough one because... I have UTSA a slight favorite over UAB on a neutral field. And then Western Kentucky is right there in that mix as well, where they do lose Bailey Zappi. They do lose Zach Kitley, their starting quarterback and their offensive coordinator from last year. But things won't change a whole lot here for the Hilltoppers and, and for those that can see the screen, five to one at Ben MGM to win conference USA. But it does look like this comes down to UAB and UTSA. And this is a relatively top-heavy conference. You know, I think teams like Rice and FIU will continue to be bad. Charlotte's maybe a team that'll flirt with bowl eligibility, but there aren't a whole lot of questions as to who the top three teams are in this conference. The biggest questions are strength of schedule for those specific teams. So, you know, I think UAB will be solid again, despite Bill Clark retiring due to a a chronic back issue. I think UTSA is my pick to win the conference, but, you know, this will be an interesting conference. It'll be kind of a high variance conference where you've got a lot of offense and only a couple of teams play defense, and by and large, those are the top two teams in the conference.
2: And beyond just taking a look at just all these teams in general, a lot of the bugaboos that's going to be coming through for Conference USA and Sunbelt, not just this year, but in future years, these teams have just been ravaged by conference realignment. I mean, I wound up having to do my Conference USA preview for my college basketball podcast, and there were like 37 different times I had to take a look at the list of teams just to be like, all right, who's still in the conference and who's not? And how much of that was a... Was that a battle for you in this as well? Because, I mean, both of these conferences, Conference USA and Sunbelt, they look nothing like they did just a few years ago.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, Marshall is now in the Sunbelt. They left Conference USA. Uh, You have Old Dominion now in the Sunbelt as well, and James Madison coming over from the FCS ranks. And what that's done in the Sunbelt is it's made a, a very imbalanced conference where the East is outstanding. You have App State, you have Coastal Carolina, you've got Georgia State, you've got Marshall. You've got Old Dominion, who made a bowl game last year, and James Madison, who's been an FCS powerhouse for a long period of time. So those two teams could kind of cannibalize, or those uh, set of teams, I should say, could kind of cannibalize each other in the Sunbelt East. So for me, I think there's value in looking at the Sunbelt West division, where Louisiana is still the top dog, but that's a team that lost Billy Napier to Florida. They have a lot of personnel turnover as well. Their all-time program passing leader in Levi Lewis moved on. So a lot of questions, I think, for the Rage and Cajuns here who – Yeah, they are probably still the best team in the West, but I think that they could be a little bit vulnerable, maybe from a team like South Alabama, who I think should improve quite a bit this year. So you kind of look for different avenues to bet some of these teams, and you can find South Alabama at 6-1 to to win the West Division in the Sun Belt. I think that's a good play. I think their over-season win total and their over-conference season win total are both good bets there with the Jaguars.
2: And you mentioned just so much of the turnover that we wound up seeing with Louisiana, losing a lot of their top players, losing their coach. How much more does that mean for a school like a Louisiana? Just insert your non-Power 5 school here rather than a school like in Oklahoma, in which they're going through so many changes because Lincoln Riley winds up moving on. Do you wind up having to just evaluate Louisiana a little bit more and have to downgrade them a little bit more with their changes rather than, say, in Oklahoma?
1: Yeah, and something to keep in mind as well is, you know, in the age of the NIL now, if you're a really good player in a group of five and you can go to a Power Five team and make a little bit of money because you get, you know, the image and likeness money, then that's something you're going to look to do. So I think we'll continue to see a lot of really good players from the group of five, from conferences like the Sun Belt, like Conference USA, go ahead and go to these bigger schools in the transfer portal. Whereas these group of five schools will have to continue going the Juco route. And there's always questions about that, not just the level of competition. But, you know, those kids wound up at JUCO programs for a reason, you know, so maybe it was academics, maybe it was something else, you know, character issues off the field, something like that. You never fully know how those players will translate to the FBS level, which, again, is why I think that the group of five provides a little bit more betting value, because if you can dig deep on those teams – you can have more knowledge than the sports books about some of those programs.
2: Yep, I do think that that's a good point to bring up as well. And then you occasionally you see this, in my opinion, a little bit more in college basketball than college football. But you see guys that they just wind up warming the bench at insert your power school here. They wind up going down a level, and boom, they're able to tear it up as well. So that's always something to take a look at with this as well. And I did wind up bringing up Oklahoma as well, and I do think that just stemming off of what I was talking about with Steve Mackinnon as well, in terms of just most balanced conferences out there. The Big 12 is certainly one of them. How did you wind up taking a look at this conference? Because I just am not in on Texas right now. We're finding at right around about a plus 275 at a lot of books to be able to win this conference. I don't know if I can just blindly buy into them. Meanwhile, I think that there is a few teams towards the bottom of the board, like a Baylor, that present good money in the futures market.
1: Yeah, I still think Oklahoma is the team to beat in this conference. I like the hire of Brent, of Brent Venables. I think he's going to help that defense tremendously, and obviously he's going to help from a recruiting standpoint as well. Jeff Lebby, I really like, comes over as the offensive coordinator from Ole Miss, a guy that Dylan Gabriel was with at Central Florida. So I think this offense should hum right along. And In fact, if you can find Dylan Gabriel 35-40-1 to 1 to win the Heisman, something like that, I think that's a pretty decent flyer on a guy that should put up some good numbers He's got a 70 to 14 career touchdown interception ratio. So we'll see what he does there at Oklahoma. Baylor is an interesting one that you bring up because this is a team that went 12 and 2 last year. I mean, they beat Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. That was a battle of top 10 teams in that one. I think they're very, very well coached under Dave Aranda. This Baylor team, though, offensively, I'm curious to see what happens because in Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner, they lost over 2,400 rushing yards. They have a new quarterback now in Blake Shapin, who was really good at the end of the year, but Jerry Bohannon was the guy that kind of got them to that point. He's now transferred to South Florida, so the Bulls are an interesting team in the AAC. But for Baylor, I'm just really curious to see how their offense kind of shakes out here for this season because they are kind of more of a run-first team. They do have a second-year offensive coordinator in Jeff Grimes, who I do like, who came over from BYU. But Shapin is the interesting guy for me. Is he going to be able to be kind of that dual threat sort of leader in the huddle like Bohannon was, or is shaping now that the job is his, going to kind of regress a little bit? The defense should still be great because of Aranda's presence, but I'm curious about that Baylor offense. Like I said, I still think Oklahoma's the team to beat, but teams like TCU are really interesting. Teams like Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy always fields a solid unit. So the Big 12 will be quite fascinating throughout the year. I just think Oklahoma's still the team to beat.
2: Yep, and I do think that you've got as many toss-up games out there in the Big 12 as you're going to find in any conference and my friend, I know that you're going to be up next on the run line. What's well, all coming up for you and Ben? Yeah, we got a lot to talk about.
1: We're going to do some trade deadline recap stuff, going to take a look at how some of the teams that made the big trades have done here this week as the Padres are now trailing one nothing on Sunday night baseball. So We'll have a lot of stuff to talk about on the show, and definitely looking forward to it. And thanks for having me on your show.
2: It's going to be a lot of fun. Adam does a great job with the run line, and did a great job with our Veasan College Football Betting Guide as well. So that is going to be coming up next: the run line with Adam Burke, along with Ben Wilson, right here on Veasan Esports Betting Network. As this has been the Football Betting Guide.
3: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Hey, this is John Ridley.
3: And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard hitting episode today, a lot of controversy.